Hello and welcome to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. podcast is an opportunity to speak to the contemporary artists I'm exhibiting in my Margate-based art gallery. With an exciting program of solo and group exhibitions, hosting this podcast is a fantastic way to delve deeper into the artist's practice and to probe their innermost thoughts about their exhibitions. Liminal Gallery was founded in April 2021 and works with contemporary artists currently practicing across the UK and Ireland, showing the incredibly diverse creatives that are based here. I've been working in the art world for over a decade and I'm incredibly passionate about fully supporting the artists that I work with and I spend most of my time trawling through social media to find artworks which blow my socks off. The artists I work with have an approach which I haven't seen before, a unique talent which spans across the mediums. I'm so excited to share these artists with you as we have in-depth conversations exploring the artists' lives and works into what makes them tick and what gets a ticking off. So I hope you'll join me both on this podcast and down in Margate where you can see the exhibitions of these artists in person. I'm delighted to share that the 15th guest on the Liminal Gallery podcast is with Thelma Spears, who is currently exhibiting in the cupboard as second exhibition space dedicated to artists who are living and working in Thanet, Kent. Thelma Spears has an innate ability to translate the world she observes, incorporating elements of fantasy in her vibrant and playful two-dimensional works. She has a diverse use of mediums and surfaces, including acrylic, felt pens, nail varnish, and has even painted the shop front windows with white chalk etching her signature birds using her finger. Spears completed a Bachelor of Arts degree in fashion design at Middlesex University in the late 1970s, shortly after which she co-founded fashion brand Burnstock Spears, where she still acts as both designer and director. Inspired by the underground club and music scene, the hats they create are sporty and fashion forward using unconventional fabrics and techniques crafted into unique designs with an emphasis on detail and quality. They have collaborated with designers such as Martine Rose, Maison Kitsun, Peter Jensen and Jean-Paul Gaultier. Celebrities spotted wearing their hats include Kylie Minogue, Kirsten Dunst, Karl Lagerfeld, Victoria Beckham, Will Young and Sharon Stone. Over the past two years, Spears has participated in various art exhibitions across the UK, including a one-night show at East End Prince Gallery in London, bird spotting at the Shopfront Community Window in Margate, which I mentioned earlier, Cats in Crisis at Hotel Michelle in Margate, Puta in Your Bag at Vogue Fabrics in London, UK, for the charitable cause Children with Voices, Birds and Bags London with Julian Smith at Gallery 46 in London, UK, and Birds and Bags at Nayland Rock Hotel in Margate, UK, again with Julian Smith as part of the Pride Art Map. Thelma Spears, thank you so much for joining me today. Nice introduction, thank you. Pleasure. And I've been desperate to say it, it's Thelma and Louise. 
yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got to enjoy that for as long as we possibly yes, can we, every time yeah. we get together and <laughs> we just keep on going every time it will never get old so I think we should start with hats you are a hat maker and as I said co-founder of the brand Burnstock Spears along with Paul Burnstock who you met at university while studying fashion your hats challenged the traditional ideas of millinery inspired by the underground club and music scene what inspired you there and how do you convert that into hats well when I came to London and went to fashion college it was a kind of really exciting time for fashion in London and clubs small clubs like there was this club called the Blitz where people would really dress up and go out so it was this kind of really small scene but everyone it was like post-punk so everyone was just doing their own thing and I think previously when you left college you would go to Paris and work for a big brand but people in London were just it's a Martins and Middlesex they were like let's just do our own thing so people started making things selling them maybe at markets but maybe you know and selling to shops and stuff so it kind of and we all went to clubs and me and Paul had a club, actually. I mean, that was how we funded it a bit at the beginning as well. Oh, wow. So it was your club? We had a club, yeah. Wow, did you? What was it called? Well, it was mainly Paul's club. I was in the room at the beginning. It was called White Trash. It was in Piccadilly, Saturday nights. Really good club. It was like dancing. It was sort of mixed, gay, straight, some... Quite a few famous people used to come down. We had DJs from New York and it was all really, yeah, it was really great. So through that, we kind of, people were wearing hats and really dressing up, but making their own things. And we just thought there's, you know, we could make things that people could wear to go out. So not like millinery for weddings. It was more like, trilbies and caps and more like boys and girls would wear to go out yeah sort of more customizing things that were more kind of known shapes not just like frivolous man things it was it was I mean people would style them in the way to be frivolous but yeah they were everyday hats but kind of to go out and what did you take from the music scene this that scene that you were a part of what kind of inspired you I think we did, but we were kind of a bit more naive and rough about it. We didn't really think of it as a business plan. But when we were at college, I mean, it was a very creative course. It was a bit avant-garde fashion. So I was really sort of seduced by that. Because when I went to foundation course, it was kind of, I it was a toss-up between fashion and painting. I was just really seduced by fashion because I love dressing up and I realised that you could actually be really creative with that without working for Marks and Spencers or something, you know, <laughs> you didn't have to have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that I read somewhere that you started putting the hats that you were making in a cloakroom and you were kind of, you know, whenever anyone interesting was coming out, you'd get them out. No, we sold to Barney's New York from the cloakroom. <gasps> Did you? Wow. <laughs> I heard from a friend of mine, Robert Forrest, who used to work at Brown's London, 
And he said, oh, I'm going to bring Barney's down. So can you bring the hats? And um, so, yeah, I took the hats down. I was in the cloakroom. And they came in and I was just like, I did an order. And I, I said, Barney's is like pretty posh. So we were like, oh, yeah. People just did that sort of thing. You know, we it wasn't so organised as now. People leave fashion college and they're like, you know, they have to, you know, have a business plan. But nobody seemed to have a plan. We met this woman called Suzanne Bartsch, who was an agent in New York. She was just, like, fabulous. And she took us all to New York, us and Stephen Jones and Body Map and Lee Bowery. And we all did a show in the Roxy. And then that's when, you know, it really took off in America. And then she took us to Japan. All these... Yeah, things happened. Yeah, everything's a bit too sterile and organised now for that kind of beautiful meeting to take place. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that still with people. But, you know, I feel that people that go to fashion college, even maybe art school, I don't know, they have to have this sort of plan and they have to have, like, be really serious and... I mean, we were serious, but we weren't, yeah, we didn't, we were just like going with it, you know, and wanting to be really free. That was the thing. And you said that you met Lee Bowery as well. Yeah, no, he was a friend. Yeah, Lee. Trojan actually did a painting of me. Trojan was his sidekick and he died in the, um, in the 80s. They went to New York with us and they went to Japan with us as well, so... Yeah, it was good times. And did Lee Bowery sport your hats as well? No, that was the thing, actually. People did their own thing and they wore their own thing. I mean, Lee's style was just, you know, incredible. He was, like, so into clothes. And so he had his thing. Everyone sort of had their thing. And it was, yeah, it was really good. Kylie Minogue wore one of your hats on the front of her debut album. And was that the kind of first big kind of celebrity endorsement? And how did you feel that impact of it? None. Nothing. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, no, that's a funny thing. When I saw that, I thought that's really interesting because one thing, the currency of celebrity was so different. There was no social media. People didn't. I don't know. I mean, we sort of hung out with some pop stars, but we didn't. Kylie was just, she wasn't very cool. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. I mean, now I tell you, yeah, we did Kylie and it's different. And it's her debut album as well. But it's also, she, we didn't make it for her. She just bought it in a shop. So we didn't even know. And then one day we we're like, oh, that's our hat on this cover of the album. But we never mentioned it to anyone. A bit like, oh, Kylie, you know, bless her. That's really interesting and they're not like some rules or something to say that if you're going to use it for publicity I don't know I mean you could buy things in shops and wear them it was yeah it was so different then there were no influencers or you know I'm so happy that I've had that life before social media and the internet it's really interesting to you know live through that and both and do, have you seen the change now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm embracing it, but it's just a different way, isn't it? That's how people communicate. I think it's really good. 
I think Instagram's really good. That's how I that's how I met you. <laughs> so it's like I think parts that are good, but obviously I it, it was different, you know, doing things where you just go knock on doors. Now you DM them, they might ignore you. I guess if you knock on someone's door, they don't really ignore you as much. That's true. It takes a certain type of person, though, to go around knocking on people's doors, doesn't it? It's like if you're a bit of an introvert, then you've got no hope. Yeah, no, but we had to, we, because we did these hats for um, one of our early things, we did these hats, we, we thought, who should we design for to do a show? And there was this designer called Bruce Oldfield, who was really famous at the time. So we literally rang him up and said, oh, can we come and see you? He was like, yeah, okay. And so we make hats and everything. And we went, and me and Paul stood outside his studio and we went, oh, no, you ring the bell. <laughs> oh, no, you, oh, oh, come on, let's, and, you know, he was really nice. And we did all the hats for his show. And, um, yeah, we got loads of press from that. And that was just knocking on his door, really. Really nice. And said, yeah, you're really, you know, creative. And so it's worth it. Yeah, it is worth it. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that as well. I think that if you don't ask, then you don't get. And so sometimes it's just worth that question. It's worth that phone call, that knock on the door, that DM, because the worst that someone can do is say no. Yeah, it's true. I think that's a nice, that's a nice success story. How did the, what about the Jean-Paul Gaultier? How did that come about? We were kind of friends with him. He used to come to London a lot and hang out with Paul used to know him going to all the gay bars and everything. And one season he did this show and he said, oh, do you want to do the hats? It was in the 90s. We were like, yeah. He was the first Donna was in. And it was, yeah, it was really, really hard work. He just had so many hats. Yeah, and it was great working with him. Once we went to Paris and we were just like, oh, there's Azadine Liar. We just saw him in the street carrying some fabric and we were like, let's just ask him if we can, you know, come in and do some hats. So we just like went, hello. <laughs> just like, we make hats. And we just like went to see him in his studio. It was really like brave. Did anything come about from that meeting? No, but no, it didn't. But we just stood in awe in his studio and just were just like, oh my God. You know, we didn't lose anything, but it was just really, yeah, no, it was nice. So have you, I mean, you touched on this earlier, but have you always painted and how did you start wanting to create work for exhibitions? Because you've only really quite recently started having art exhibitions. Yes. Well, I've always drawn. And like when I was a child, I used to draw all the time. And then... When I went to fashion school as well, it did drawing, but it just became much more sort of a stylized thing and making the hats. But when really during lockdown, I think this is when the important moment came because I started drawing because we couldn't go to work. So I did this thing with Burnstock Spears where I'd said to people, send the picture of you wearing a hat and I'll draw you. And then tag, you know, and I did that every day. And then the opposite where my studio is, Stephen's, there was some nesting seagulls. And then they had 
chicks. It was so far away that I couldn't really photograph them. So I used to like sit there with binoculars and draw them. So that's when I started with the seagulls thing. And I got really into birds and seagulls. And then I wasn't really painting, I was just drawing in sketchbooks and stuff. And then Julian Smith, he was living in Margate as well. And he was one of the people I sort of saw in lockdown. And he was painting and I said, oh, let's do an exhibition. Well, we both sort of said, oh, shall we do an exhibition? Like, oh yeah, let's do that. And it was that's how it really started, the exhibition thing. A bit just like chats. But I mean, I found lockdown an incredibly creative time because I just stopped. Yeah, I think a lot of people found it quite a creative because what else do you turn to? You turn to like music, you know, all of those kind of creative arts. But it's interesting that you weren't sketching for new hats. You were developing something new. That's the thing about hats, because I don't draw them and then make them. We just, it's more sculptural because they're so sort of, you know, they're to be worn. And I think that they're just three-dimensional things. So that's more, you have to, put them on your head the proportion and everything it's such a sort of uh yeah it's so different I draw them after we wouldn't actually sit there sketching hats and thinking that's a good idea so, no we have to make them and is that quite a regular thing for hat makers to do I don't know actually I think it would be because you can't yeah and you have to they're three-dimensional they're sculptures and going back to your first exhibition post lockdown, so you were drawing birds and Julian Smith, who's a fashion designer, and so he was drawing bags. Yeah, he was drawing like plastic bags in the street. And I don't know, somehow it seemed to go together like birds and bags. It felt like a really nice little like brand. And then, so I was drawing the birds and then I started painting. And then I, I was reading this article in London Review of Books about birds, and it said that they see each other in very vibrant colours. So I just had this fantasy, and I just put spots on all the birds, or like, you know, just made them really fancy. Seagulls, because seagulls are quite, yeah, they're, they're quite ordinary looking in a way, and people don't like them, you know, they, they get bad press. So I thought, I'm going to elevate seagulls and make them really beautiful, their spots and, and you know. But I do like seagulls, they're kind of, I like crows as well. And I quite like them when they're walking. They just have a, yeah. They're a particular kind of waddle, don't they? They yeah. do, it's just very unique. How can you like seagulls? I don't understand. Can you clarify this <laughs> answer? You not. I just like, you know, when I see them, the parenting is really cute. They come back now, the same parents. Well, I think they're the same in my head. And they normally have two or three, but there's only the one left. Yeah, no, I, I like them. They just seem really clever. I think they are. I feel like they're very determined creatures. <laughs> I witnessed this really funny moment on the beach the other day when I was walking into a gallery and there was a woman on the steps by the beach in Margate on the main sands and she was at the top and she'd just been climbing the stairs and you see these seagulls just circling around her 
and she must have been eating a pastry or something and she had a coffee in another hand and saw this seagull swoop down I managed to get a bit of her pastry and she just kind of lost it, went crazy at this seagull. And then you could see her, she's kind of sorting herself out. She's all flustered. She kind of stopped and kind of got her pastry back up again in, in her hand. And, and then you just see the seagull circling around. She just had no idea. And then it just swooped down and just grabbed the rest of it. And she threw everything up in the air. It was just chaos and carnage. Felt very sorry for her, but once they get an idea in their heads and that's it, and they just think they're brutal. <laughs> I think that seagulls are just unpredictable, unpredictable, a bit mental, yes. and very focused on their own selfish goals. But I do admire them from afar, and I think yes. they're lovely right. creatures. Look at them. And I love hearing them, you know, in the mornings when you just hear them squawking. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like it now. It's grown to be like the sound of home. Yes, yes. Of course, they're in London as well now. That is also very true. Very true. Just like the parakeets. Yeah, yeah. They're everywhere as well, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> the other lockdown, creatively, that happened, which was sort of not about painting, but on Instagram, they had this these people I didn't know them they were in Scotland and they I just thought what are they doing they just kept dressing up every day and it turned out they were doing this thing called irregular standards where every day they'd give you a theme and then you dress up in that theme and then post it on Instagram so it's like every night they gave you a theme like was Anderson's films or um yellow or denim, or, you know, so, so everyone dressed up and it was like a small group of people that sort of grew a bit. And that was really, it was very Cindy Sherman. And it was just so good. Because also I had a very limited wardrobe because I'd only thought I was going away for three weeks. I ended up being there. Well, you know, it went on, didn't it? And that limitation was really fun, trying to find things to dress up and do props and you know it was another lockdown thing that was really great that's amazing I hadn't heard of that at all yeah they're really cool but at least it gave you something to do as well every single night yeah that was the thing it was so free it was just like oh night tomorrow oh, what am I gonna wear tomorrow do this thing and then I got a selfie stick <laughs> and it was just like <laughs> I know it was so great in so many ways and so obviously not great in so many ways so you had to homeschool no it's before I had Roman thank goodness oh was it? Oh my gosh yes of course yeah yeah he was a lockdown baby well he was like slightly post lockdown it was a bit less mental but my husband had to wear like a mask in the hospital and stuff but he was allowed in some of my friends had children before me and you know their husbands weren't even allowed in the hospitals so yeah no thankfully I didn't have to do any homeschooling. I don't know how people did that and worked. And yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It does. And it's a really odd. Yeah, it was so odd. But, you know, I think it, it just, yeah, for me, it was, it was freeing. So I was lucky. And it just made me paint. And I mean, just before that happened, me and Paul had discussed 
you know, doing art things. We we were just like, you know, the roller coaster of fashion. It and then fashion's really tough at the moment. You know, it's it's not an easy business to be in since Brexit and everything. We were like, why don't we just, you know, start doing art? And we kept talking about it, but to do it, it's a weird thing. You go, oh, I'm going to do art. You've just got a blank page, but it just happened naturally in the end because of lockdown. And so Paul's making art as well, because you just had a three-person show, didn't you, together? Yeah, Paul does more textile-based. I mean, Paul's a really talented maker. He makes our hats, so he's really good at making. So his work is quite textile-based, but he paints as well. So, yeah, no, it's good. And how is he getting on with it? Is he enjoying that side of it, or is he more leaning towards hats? Well, no, no, he's, yeah, he, he likes it too. I don't think he does it as much as me. <laughs> I just do it all the time now. Whenever I can, yeah. I mean, weekends, I'm just like, this is what I'm going to do. Every day I try to draw or make something. I like drawing and then making little gifts, sort of cartoons and things from movement and stuff, just for my own pleasure, really. So... I was going to ask if you shown them anywhere. No, only on Insta. I mean, I'm open to things, but I just do it anyway. You know, you just got to keep doing things, and then that spice stuff happens, doesn't it? And so I think that in your artworks you have a very distinctive style, which I would say are the opposite of your hats, which are carefully crafted with clean lines and neat silhouettes, whereas your paintings are fraught with emotion, expressive lines convulse and wrestle forms of birds, trees and figures into being. Do you agree with that? And is there a form of outlet there from one which you can't get from the other? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's true. I mean... Like I said before, like hats is this discipline. I don't mind discipline in, in work. I mean, I think restrictions is really good for creativity, but in hats, we just have to think about, yes, selling, <laughs> you know, and, and not just selling, but I mean, we want, we do things we want. I mean, they're not all really commercial, commercial. So like, you know, we, we're creative with it, but it's like somebody's got to wear it we see it as function and we see it as a product and a product that we really like to sort of mass produce really you know so I like seeing 100 bunny caps coming out you know because it's like it's very pleasing whereas painting it's it's like an expression it's like dancing or something you're just doing it in a way just this sounds corny, but you're sort of feeling it, aren't you? You're just, oh, I'm in this zone. I mean, I can get in that zone with hats, but it's really pleasing when you see something in a hat and you're like, oh, God, that really is, that really works. And um, same with painting, but the actual making of the hat is much more painful <laughs> because you've just got to think about certain restrictions. You have to tie it on, you have to go like, mm, the bit, you know, it's not quite right. Blah, blah, blah. Painting, you're just like, oh my God, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that some of them are really, really layered as well, some of your paintings. Yeah, they are. And so you just get these kind of ghostly hints of 
silhouettes or um, birds or cats in the background but then there's kind of something stronger in the foreground maybe they're really dark and I love that expressiveness that suggestion I think you really play a lot with that yeah no I like that I sort of paint over things if they're not quite right and then sometimes you see something underneath and you think well you know it's quite nice with the sketchbook for example I'd you know I'd sketch get and then I'd go back over a page and then I'd go oh and then I'd cover it with pastel and then I'm like mm, and then I'd cover it with something they got a bit sticky sometimes because I was just layer 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 so yeah no it's I like that and that gives a different quality as well to the book as well when the pages start sticking together and it's like creaking it apart but they're they're lovely I really enjoy that play with the material because it feels like you're you don't feel like there's many restrictions on like the medium you're just like what happens if I put this on this yeah it's got that that kind of joyful sense and sometimes I'm sort of standing on, on in the studio and it's only a little thing I'm looking at but I'm just grabbing bits of paper and sort of putting it down it's like this you know a bit mad like, bit of paper oh mm, that's 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 quite nice oh is it oh I don't know and then you just calm down again just go actually no. and then you start again that's the thing about painting you just go or doing I mean it's not just painting is it I think maybe sculpture and other things that are free you get that feeling and have you ever thought about sculpture? Because you said that a hat is more like a sculpture. So it's interesting that you've gone from hats to 2D. I have, but I haven't done it yet. So maybe I will. I don't know. You know, it's sort of things just sort of happen. I did an etching course at the Royal Drawing School. That was in 2021. And I really loved etching. But that's something, I mean, that is one obviously 2D, but that is just such a nice, you have to really control yourself though. Have you done etching? I have, yeah. It's not something you can work into and work it. There's like a limited. Yeah, and you're just like, oh my God, if this goes wrong, it's a bit scary, isn't it? Yeah, I like it is. I like that. I like the depth of it as well. I think that's, it does look, if you layer it, if you do one acid layer and then you do another, it can look really, really dense. I think the mark making on etching is just phenomenal. Yeah. It just make, It gives me tingles every time I see an etching, yeah. a really good etching, and you're like, oh, the line, <laughs> the texture. Yeah, and also the room, like with the ink, yeah. you know, and everything about it, and the press. Yeah. Feels yeah. very ritualistic, doesn't it? Whereas yeah. when you're painting sculpture to some extent, you know, you can just kind of do whatever you want. Everything, everything's game. Yeah. Whereas sometimes it's quite nice to have those limitations. And the gear, you need that gear though, it's beautiful. We were just walked in the basement every day doing it in the Charlotte Road in Shoreditch, and it was just like, wow. I've got to do yeah maybe I should show my etchings at some point but I, I feel like I'd, oh, I actually got COVID doing that course so I couldn't do it and I said to them oh can I do an extra day I've missed the last day I said can I do an extra day because I've got COVID and they were like no no they said no that mean that is a bit mean anyway that's sad but it was a nice place to do it yes yes and I enjoyed that but yeah, no, I would like to do sculpture. I'll see what happens. I'll see what presents itself. 
Well, I look forward to seeing it. I think that it'd be amazing. I can just see like your little birds turned into 3D. Yeah, no, I was thinking about mobiles. Ooh. But yeah, I just have to work that out a bit. I mean, I really like Calder as an artist. It'd be really nice to do. I was imagining like little clay or bronze, kind of lovely, chunky. I shall say, Louise. Well... To be continued. (laughs) So your current exhibition in the cupboard is called Night Walks. And the main star of the show is a vintage French accounts book where you have drawn and painted nightscapes across each page. There is such a bold use of colour and so much energy in each page. It's a beautifully intimate experience to wear the white cotton gloves, which are personalised. (laughs) <laughs> with yeah. your name and liminal gallery on them and leaf through the sketchbook did you create the works from memory or did you take it with you on your journeys across London and Margate I never took it with me I took photos sometimes and and just memory really and then I added a bit of fantasy on things I mean there's certain things like that part when I walk back from town because you me we live on the other side of town from Cliftonville and I'm always walking back there and I walk through Hartstown Park and it's just so amazing because also they've got a football pitch there which sometimes they light from behind the trees so that just looks incredible and I, I mean I just really like parks and the trees and everything the smell and the sort of and when you're alone at night and it's all dark and you can see the stars I mean it's just such a sort of nice feeling it sort of reminds me of before I moved to London, I lived in Cambridge and I used to sort of go out and then go home on my bike through the common and it was just like that, that looking up and seeing stars and stuff. And then I sort of, um, after seeing, like, I was looking at the stars and I was like, oh, what is that? So I bought a book about stars, you know, and it all came into the little sketchbook. So, you know, it was really nice. And then... Um, yeah, sort of nights out in London. One of my favourite paintings, which was the poster, was uh, my friend Suli in London. She's a performance video artist. And she painted a room red and then got this big piece of red paper and wrapped it up. It's such a nice video. And I went to see her one night and then we were just in the red room and then she was trying on my hat, which has got little ears. So it looks a bit like a, one of my little creatures. So I painted that. I make up these little creatures that live in the park. They're called pukas. Pukas is like an old... Have you ever seen that film Harvey? No. James Stewart, it's like 1940s. And he has an imaginary rabbit called Harvey that you never see throughout the film, but he just like... And I remember seeing it as a child and the rabbit never appears. And you just imagine this rabbit. And I sort of looked it up and it was called a puka, which is an imaginary animal. So I started drawing them in the park. They look a bit like a rabbit and a cat combined and a bit of a fox. And they just, yeah, just made them up. They appeared sort of in the background, little ghostly things. They're sort of friendly, I think. They look a bit menacing, but I see them as cute (laughs) 
Japanese kawaii type. Yeah, they're supposed to be friendly. And um, yeah, so the book, yeah, it took about a year to do. And then because I was just doing it as a thing. And when I applied to be in your cupboard, that gave me incentive to, you know, make it into something a bit more special. And then the I mean, the cupboard is just so fabulous for that. It just seems perfect. And that, you know, the idea that you can look at something and the gloves, yeah, that's a bit fashion with the label. But, you know, it's, yeah, no, so it's really, yeah, we love that. Because now it's become more of a project and an exhibition. It just This is a sketchbook. And how did you come across the accounts book? Oh, my friend bought it over from France, uh, Martial. And he was like, oh, I, I just like, I like it also because it's got the writing in of the, you know, the accounts. And then it's got lines, which on some pictures you can see, but most of the time it's kind of obscured. But, you know, I, I, I often sketch in bog standard sort of exercise books that I buy in uh, stationery shops that are just something you'd use at school standard ones with lines or checks I just like the look of that oh that's interesting so you don't go for like a blank page you go for one with some kind of structure on there already yeah I don't know I just like the look of it I I don't know why you just don't know do you (laughs) subconscious preference and I'm really impressed by how the paper of the book has actually absorbed all of that medium because some of the pages are really heavy and on both sides yeah. you kind of think that the pages would yes. I don't know wrinkle or have some kind of reaction to it but this I mean they've survived so well some of them actually I had to put tape on but that proved to be another good thing because I put the tape on like gaffer tape because they were falling apart a bit and then I put the Sharpie pen on top and then it just looked really good. And then I sprayed it with the fixative and it kind of separated and made this really nice mark. So I did use the fact the pages fell apart as well in some instances. And I sprayed all the pages with a special fixative thing, which seemed to hold it all together. I kind of missed having the book, but I don't think I'll do another one the same because that is just the unique book now. If I tried to recreate it or do another one, it's just like, no, that's my book. It is so lovely. and It's been really lovely actually allowing people to pick something up and to go through it. Like I said, it is a really intimate experience and something that you're just not afforded that often in art. It's a very tempting business isn't it you've got like all these lovely textures and things and don't touch the one thing that you desperately want to do you can't touch and so to actually have that performative element of putting on the gloves and then you can take the book out and just have this moment and I've actually been really surprised with how many people have sat down and stayed and they've gone through every single page and not through diligence to me or anything in fact we're chatting And then they're like, hold on a minute. And then they just kind of go through it because it's just like absorbing. And it's just so lovely to see that, to see people really spending time with it. Amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so pleased. Yeah, that was what it's all about. And actually, if it did get damaged, I don't mind because that would be part of the 
the thing as well. I mean, people take really good care. It's not like on purpose, but if anything happens, you know, I wouldn't sort of cry. I'd say that's part of the, that's now made that book even more special. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but that must be quite a nerve wracking thing. No, not really. It's just like, I just thought if that does happen, I wouldn't mind too much. Yeah, I think it's been really lovely. I kind of expected people to put on the gloves, have a quick leaf through, and, you know, occasionally someone will do that, but the majority of the time people really, really do just, they're absorbed in it, which is, I love. And also everyone, every single person chooses their favourite page to leave it open on. Oh, good. Every person that goes in there. And again, that's something that's really interesting for me because then I see the pages that people are choosing. There hasn't been many that have been the same. Good. So what do you enjoy the most about your practice? Doing it, you know, doing the thing and the feeling that you get that's so weird. Like I spoke about that earlier, like, yeah, you get into it and, um, yeah, you just, you're lost in a way. And it's that's really great. So that's what I enjoy most. But, I mean, you also go through weird sort of not such great feeling sometimes a bit like oh you know you get a bit I don't know not sad but sort of oh this it's it's not working and and then oh it's working and but at the end of it at the end of the day you know you're just like oh wow I've created this thing you know it's just really great doing it painting yeah I guess that's why it feels so great because you do have those moments of being like, you know, why can't I get this out? Why can't I do the thing that's in my head? Yeah. And then you do and you just feel like on top of the world, right? Exactly. I suppose it's like, yeah, if you're anything, like writing or something, it's just like when it comes, it's just such a nice feeling. Either way, I mean, it's the same with making hats when something good happens. You're just like, oh, that's really satisfying. But, you know, with the painting, the actual process is just so enjoyable. And you just bringing up hats then, it just reminded me that I was going to ask you, so we've spoken about your hats, but we haven't spoken about the pinnacle of Burnstock Spears hats. Like when you talk about your hats, which hat do you think about? Which one is the most notable, memorable? There's been a few, but not that many. But when it happens, it really is good and you can like, the first hat that we made that was really special was the topless hat, which is the Kylie one. And that just felt really good because it was like a sort of functional. It was actually made with, um, it was like a brim. And then we put jersey, a jersey band on it. So, and um, yeah, that sold really well for ages. And then the veil beanie, we did a beanie with a veil. That was just like flu. And then the bunny cap. We were collaborating with Peter Jensen and his um his logo was a rabbit. We used to make hats for him, but then we kind of did um a tea party with his in our shop and then we thought, oh let's put bunny ears on a cap. And then we were like, it's a bit it's like one of those joke hats we thought, like with the accent or something, you know, or doing doing. And then we did it and I was like, that actually it's really good. So yeah, but yeah, that's that 
they're the three and they're all kind of very kind of they look quite normal in a way but they're they're based on something that's quite traditional sports wearing kind of thing it's like a utility thing but just with something to make it like a beanie like a bubble hat and then you put a veil on it it's such a sort of contradiction you know so you've got a veil which is sort of a glamorous thing and then you've got a bubble hat which is and you put the two together and it's just yeah it's like quite magic and do you still sell all of those topless no that sort of faded out veil beanie yeah and bunny cap yeah bunny cap's good in in asia are they not in korea and yeah they really like they really like that style and you wear your hats quite often as well don't you I do, yes. Yeah, I do. You are the, the face, the head of the brand. <laughs> <laughs> and so what do you find the most frustrating about your practice? Oh, well, I don't know if this, the frustrating is the right thing, but it's actually, um, you know, all that explaining it. <laughs> I'm doing now. Now I can explain it, I can talk about it, but, you know, if you have to do like an artist statement or all that, it, I just can't. I can't do it. It's the same with the hats, you know, doing a press release. Somebody else can do that. Because I always think to myself, if I could explain it, I wouldn't do it. You know, it's like some people write and they're really good at it, but I just can't. Yeah, it just always sounds so sort of like bollocksy sometimes when you, you know, you know what I mean. I do. Not that you're good at that, but I mean, I just can't do it. I've tried the AI, you know. And I think it's hard not to sound pretentious a lot of the time because you just think, yeah, I, you know, I, sh- I should sound like I really know what I'm talking about. But there's, then you write yeah. it down and you think, God, who's written this? <laughs> no, no, it's really difficult. It is difficult to get that sweet spot. And I think, you know, that's something quite new that people have to do. I think, you know, when I went to art school, we didn't have to explain everything in writing. If we did a project, we just presented it as visual, you know, outfit or, you know, drawing. And, but we never had to sort of write a whole piece about it. And I think that's what artists have to do now. You know, you have to explain it all the time. I think that's why people put text on their paintings a lot, because it's easier. <laughs> there you go, I've explained it. And check. I think it's going back to what we were saying about social media as well. People have to explain things and give little snippets. Yeah, I mean, Instagram's not too bad because you can be quite concise and Instagram's quite visual. So Instagram, I, I, I'm not bad at just writing a little bit of content. But I think if you've got, if you want to get funding or just stuff that you have to do, if you do an exhibition, you've got to write about it. That's the most frustrating. So is there anything else that you'd like to say about your works in your exhibition Nightwalks at the Cupboard in Liminal Gallery? I'm really inspired by Peter Doig. I really like his paintings. And they're really massive. And this is really small. I don't know. It's just like some of his work I've just found really amazing, the landscapes and stuff. So I kind of sometimes that just popped into my head. Like, you know, Peter Doig, I love his work. 
Yeah, he was on Desert Island Disc. He was quite good, actually. A couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I love that you're taking inspiration from him, but shrinking it right down, which he is incapable of doing. So, A frustrating thing, maybe, as well, is space where you work. Because, you know, I'd love to do big, but I just... You just can't do big, can you? And where do you work? Where do you mostly paint? It's a room in, in Stephen's house. In Margate. So it's, it's not, you know, it's big enough, but also you paint and then you have to put it somewhere. Then you can just sell it, which would be amazing. But, you know, so I haven't done really big, but I'd love to do really big. But, I, you know, I like doing really small as well. That's fine. Good. Well, then the cupboard was a perfect place for you, for it is very small. Yes. No, it really was. I thank you so much for that, because that opportunity was really amazing. I couldn't have thought of a better place. It's truly quirky. Yeah, no, yeah, it's just beautiful. It's, it's lovely. I think it suits it so well. And it's so lovely. It's such a lovely use of the space as well. When you turned up and you just brought that tree trunk, which the, the book is sitting on, I was yeah. like, that's not going to fit in there it's a massive tree trunk it did perfectly (laughs) yeah yeah we did mention it's been a joy yes well that's all my questions so Thelma Spears thank you so much for joining me today on the Liminal Gallery podcast it's been such a pleasure talking to you thank you Louise thank you very much Thelma Spears exhibition Night Walks continues until the 28th of October in the cupboard at Liminal Gallery at 34 Fort Hill in Margate but open Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays, 11 until 4pm and outside of these times by appointment. More information can be found on our website, www.liminal-gallery.com. I am so excited to exclusively reveal that a series of Thelma's paintings, which were created taking inspiration from some of the pages from her Nightwalk sketchbook, are now on view in Field Trip, a cafe in the basement level of number 42 Guest House, the new hotel on the seafront in Margate. The works will be on view for the next couple of months, so please do visit them, grab a really good coffee or dine in or out on their delicious locally sourced ingredients, including breakfast, salads, sandwiches and sweet treats. I'm so excited that Guest House have given us this wonderful space to act as an extension of the cupboard, helping Liminal Gallery to promote local artists and the incredible talent we have here in Margate. Thank you so much for listening to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, Louise Fitzjohn, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode featuring Anna Blom, who has work in our two-person show entitled The Pull of the Tides, which continues until the 30th of September 2023. Bye for now.